What if you woke up one day and suddenly, without practice or experience, you could play an instrument or paint an incredible landscape or calculate huge sums instantly in your head? What if there was a way to unlock massive potential in your brain? All it would take was surviving a potentially deadly accident. Would you take that chance? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who would love to be able to play piano and compose music, but really doesn't want to have to take piano lessons. This week, stories of people who woke up one day with incredible new talents they never had before. Once in a while, I have a dream in which I hear fully realized music that I'm sure I haven't heard out in the real world. But no matter how quickly I wake up, I can never remember the music. The only songs I've ever written when I've been awake have all had the same exact tune, and it's basically a 1950s TV jingle. It goes like this. When you come to a driveway, what do you do? Stop, look, and listen. Mozart? I am not. But in these dreams, the music is truly beautiful. Sometimes it's classical, sometimes it's more poppy, sometimes it's bluesy. When I wake up, the tune is gone. Try as I may to recall it, it has disappeared. Where does that music come from? Why can I access it in my dreams, but not recreate it when I'm awake? Is there a fold somewhere in my brain that holds a musical ability? If I could take my brain out and smooth out all the wrinkles, would there be all kinds of hidden talents and knowledge I would find? There are a small handful of people in the world who have suddenly discovered a talent that wasn't there before. They have acquired savant syndrome. All of them survived an accident, stroke, or aneurysm that left them with an affinity and or talent for something they previously didn't display. So one day, you're Bob Average out for a ride on your bike, and you're wearing a helmet because you value your life, but you fall and hit your head hard enough to sustain a brain injury. When you come to, you're like, where's a piano? God damn it, I gotta get the music out of me. You'd never touched a piano before in your life, but just like that, you're playing great balls of fire, just like Jerry Lee Lewis, minus the part where he married his 13-year-old cousin. Anyway... When he was 10 years old in 1979, Orlando Sorrell was playing baseball with his friends when he was struck in the head by the ball. He fell, then shook it off and kept playing because children are made of rubber. He had a headache for days, but for some reason never told his parents about the incident during the baseball game, so he never got any medical treatment. Not that there would have been much for the doctors to do, except be like, yep, you hit your head all right. Like, you can't put a cast on a concussion, you know? When the headache finally subsided, Orlando began to notice he had developed the ability to remember the day of the week corresponding to any date in his life since the accident. And he was able to recall in great detail what he ate, what he was wearing, what the weather was like, and more. When I first read this story, I thought, sure, he remembers all of that and didn't just memorize dates and make up what he might have eaten or done that day. Look, I can do it too. Watch. Call out a random date in the past. I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and black Adidas shell toes. I ate a cheese sandwich from the local bodega and drank a peach Arizona iced tea. See? 
But my skepticism was short-lived when I learned that fast-forward more than two decades, because that's literally what every account of Orlando's story does, in 2002, Orlando got a phone call from Dateline. They were doing a story on acquired savants and wanted Orlando in the piece. They flew him from Virginia to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York to be the first person ever with acquired savant syndrome to undergo a functional MRI to find out which parts of the brain Orlando was using when he performed these insane recalls. The test showed that Orlando was using different parts of his brain than neurotypical people do when performing recall or calculation tasks. Not only that, but by 2012 or 13, he was starting to be able to instantly calculate the day of the week from dates before he was born. There's footage of someone testing him, and there's a look on his face as he gets more and more right that says, what the fuck is this? Like he gets day after day right, and he just gets more creeped out by his own ability. In one instance, he was given a date and recalled that it was raining, what he was wearing, and what a friend of his who passed by him was wearing. And that Run DMC, Curtis Blow, and the Fat Boys had had a concert at the Coliseum and there was a mugging in the parking lot. And then he said, now that's too much stuff to hold in one brain. Professor Alan Snyder from the University of Sydney, who for some reason insists on wearing baseball caps partway backward like he's a former member of a 90s white hip-hop group, says that Orlando's case proves that these abilities live in our brains without us needing to train or be taught the skill. The fMRI results tell us that perhaps if we could figure out how to tap into the same areas of the brain Orlando uses when he's recalling, we could all do the same thing. Or, maybe even more importantly, they'll figure out which parts of the brain might take that ability even farther, giving us all the ability to do complex mathematical calculations instantly. So that next time you're trying to pay your bill after your bottomless mimosa brunch, you won't grossly undertip your waitstaff and have your picture posted in the kitchen with the words, spit in their food, written under it. Orlando is a janitor at Walmart, or at least he was in 2012, which seems unfair given his extraordinary gift, not the janitor part, the Walmart part. Then again, it's hard to imagine how anyone would monetize being able to remember what they had for dinner 20 years ago. There are those with acquired savant syndrome who have been able to profit off the incredible talents they've gained. One such person is Alonzo Clemens, who suffered a terrible fall when he was three years old that left him partially brain damaged with an IQ of just 40, unable to learn to read or write or speak clearly. But in addition to the deficiencies created by the accident, Alonzo also gained an incredible talent for sculpting. After the injury, he felt a compulsion to sculpt. If he didn't have clay, he would find any other substance he could mold. The figures he would sculpt completely by hand were extremely realistic animals. He could see a picture of an animal for a second and somehow sculpt a 3D model of that animal, complete with musculature and everything. His favorite was horses. This amazing talent went largely unnoticed or ignored for more than 20 years. Then, in 1988, the movie Rain Man was released, followed by a media blitz of interest in savant syndrome. I'm not sure how, exactly, but Alonzo got hooked up with Dr. Daryl Teffert, who was a leader in the field of autism spectrum disorders and savant syndrome. 
Probably someone at the residential home Alonzo lived in finally recognized that Alonzo may have had what everyone in the media was talking about, the savant syndrome. Alonzo's test results showed a huge increase of activity in the area of the brain that handles memory. So it's not just that he's able to sculpt lifelike pieces, but his capacity for memory is enormous. Dr. Teffert determined that not only did Alonzo have acquired savant syndrome, but he was also a prodigious savant, one of fewer than 100 in the world, meaning that if he'd never had the accident, his IQ would be genius level, which really just adds to the tragedy. Though it's actually not right to call it a tragedy. Alonzo himself calls his abilities God's gift and now sells his pieces all over the world. He has an assistant who's worked with him for more than 20 years, Nancy Mason, who says the sculpting isn't just an ability. It's an integral part of his identity. Alonzo's sculptures are truly beautiful. He sells his pieces for upwards of $6,200. Honestly, if I could afford one, I'd put one on prominent display in my apartment. We'll have a link to his website on our socials. In February 2021, Alonzo was able to move into his own home near his family in Denver, something no one thought he'd be able to do after that horrible accident more than 60 years ago. His website doesn't explain how he was able to make that transition, but I assume that given that he makes a pretty good living with his art, he's able to afford outpatient care and in-home help. God bless capitalism. Orlando and Alonzo both experienced their accidents when they were children. What happens, though, when an adult brain experiences trauma? Coming up, I'll tell you about three grown men who woke up from accidents with abilities they never knew they had. In 1994, 42-year-old surgeon Tony Sercoria was at a family gathering and went outside to use a phone booth to call his mother. This was back before everyone had cell phones. And picture this, we would use public phones that required us to put our mouths where millions of strangers had already put their mouths. Oh, we were so young and innocent in the olden days. Anyway, after hanging up with his mother, when he was about a foot away from it, lightning struck the phone booth and bounced off it and struck Tony in the face. The next thing Tony knew, he was flying backward and saw his own body on the ground. He watched the rescue effort as a civilian administered CPR and floated away as he thought of his children and felt completely at peace, surrounded by a bluish-white light. But then, without warning, he was back in his body alive and awake. Rather than go directly to the hospital, or at the very least, a doctor, Tony went home, which seems like an odd decision for a surgeon who had just been hit by lightning, seemingly died, and was CPR'd back to life. Like, just go see a doctor, you know? What harm could it do? To his credit, he called his cardiologist, who apparently was like, what do you want me to do? Sounds like you died for a few minutes and then came back. And, I mean, fair. But still, maybe just check things out? But soon he began to feel sluggish, a feeling he wasn't used to, to which I say, welcome to the club, buddy. Sluggish is my baseline. 
And then he was having trouble remembering names of people he knew well, so he went for an MRI and EEG, but the tests came back normal. A few weeks later, Tony's regular energy returned along with his memory, but in its place, there was an insatiable craving for piano music. Particularly the piano music of Chopin. Suddenly, Tony could not get enough Chopin. At first, he just needed to listen to Chopin, but soon he had a burning desire to play Chopin. But aside from not knowing how to play piano, he'd only had a few lessons as a child, he didn't have a piano. Luckily, and astonishingly coincidentally at this time, the Sercoria's babysitter just happened to need somewhere to store her piano. Tony jumped at the opportunity to have unfettered access to the instrument of his new obsession, and he ordered as much Chopin sheet music as he could find. It was then, however, that his brain was like, no, 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 Chopin isn't good enough. We're going to write our own music. One night, Tony dreamt he was wearing a tuxedo, sitting at a grand piano on a stage in front of an audience. And what he played was a completely new piece, something from his own brain. He woke up and tried writing the music down. Unfortunately, Tony couldn't read music. This meant that not only could he not write his own music down, but he couldn't play the reams and reams of Chopin he bought. So he took all that sheet music and started teaching himself how to play piano. Now, to me, trying to teach yourself piano with Chopin is like training to hike a mountain on Everest. Like, go easy on yourself at the beginning. Start out with, like, the little hill at your local park. You know? Tony had trouble getting through Chopin on the piano, not because it's extremely difficult to play when you don't know how to read music or know how to play piano, but because his own compositions would float into his head and overwhelm him. I imagine that's like trying to read War and Peace while your brain is crafting a sci-fi novel out loud in your head. This sudden affinity for music and automatic composing was consuming Tony's life. He would wake up at 4 a.m. and play until he had to go to work and play again when he got home. Eventually, his wife had had enough of the incessant piano playing and divorced him. Honestly, I don't know if the divorce was because of the piano playing or not, but I like to imagine her being like, if I have to listen to you plunk out the same goddamn notes over and over for hours on end for one more minute, I'm going to lose my mind. I also don't know if that's how she spoke. She just does in my head. I imagine it's what every parent of a fourth grader feels like when they have to listen to their kid practice hot cross buns on the recorder over and over. If you could divorce your child, there would be a lot of divorced nine-year-olds wandering around. In 2006, Tony was introduced to Dr. Oliver Sacks, whose books on the weird shit the human brain does are really terrific. If you haven't read The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, go get it from your local library and read it immediately. After this episode. Anyway, he told Dr. Sachs about the music that had been living in his brain since shortly after he was struck by lightning, and Dr. Sachs was like, you need to write that shit down, bro. Only way more doctory than that. And write it down, bro, he did. Two years later, Tony gave his first live performance playing his original piece, Lightning Sonata.
Now look, far be it from me to judge a piece of music that emerged fully formed from the depths of someone's unconscious. As someone who has dreamed of original songs but is incapable of even remembering them, let alone recreating them, I'm impressed that Tony was able to do even that. That said, if Lightning Sonata were a movie, it would be a fictional drama that turns into a rom-com, that turns into a thriller, that turns into a silent film, that turns into a foreign language film, that turns into an historical biopic. I'm no musicologist, but I know that Mozart's music was a lot different from Philip Glass's music, and Lightning Sonata seems to have a lot of disjointed styles all mixed up into one song. It's not my cup of tea. That doesn't mean it's not good. I'm not the arbiter of music. I'm just me. Also, you could say that Tony was a proficient piano player at that point. Like, he wasn't a natural. He sounded like someone who started taking piano lessons in his mid-40s. Certainly much better than I can play, which is not at all, but not like some piano genius. At the end of the day, it seems what happened to Tony when he got hit by lightning that day was that he, for some reason, developed an affinity for a type of music he had never liked before, and a fully formed, albeit somewhat confusing, song sprung up from his deep subconscious which raises all kinds of questions about how and from where creative ideas form, and if there's some dark storeroom in our brains that holds all kinds of original creations that we have no idea we even have. But Tony's gift lived exclusively in his brain. Unlike Alonzo, who also acquired the motor skills to suddenly be able to expertly craft realistic models, Tony had to teach himself how to transfer what was in his brain into something he could share with others. It's not like he could suddenly read music or play piano. But coming up, I'll tell you about someone who woke up not just with music in their head, but the extraordinary ability to let it out. In 2007, 39-year-old Derek Amato dove into the shallow end of a pool, hitting the left side of his head. He wasn't immediately knocked out, but he could tell instantly that he was hurt, which... Stands to reason when you smack your head against the bottom of a swimming pool, kids. It wasn't until he got himself over to the edge of the pool that he passed out. He was rushed to the emergency room where he was diagnosed with a major concussion. He went home and slept for four days, which honestly sounds like a vacation to me, but should definitely not be done after a concussion. After his four-day nap, Derek woke up having now dodged two bullets— The first being not instantly becoming paralyzed from bashing his head on the pool floor, and the second being surviving a hardcore snooze fest after a concussion. He went to visit a friend who had a small in-home music studio. Derek had noodled around on guitar before then. He rated his skills a 2.5 out of 10. Other than that, his only experience playing an instrument was playing snare drum in high school. But that day, in his friend's music studio, Derek took one look at the keyboard and was like, I need to play that. Derek sat down and started playing piano like he'd been doing it all his life. Not like he spent 12 years taking piano lessons and could play the notes on the page, like full original songs. Songs that required both the left and the right hand to play. From there, Derek went to a music shop where he sat down at one of their pianos and played for four hours. One of the employees asked how long he'd been playing, and Derek said, four hours? And the guy was like, no, no, I mean in your life. And Derek was like, 
four hours. Derek can't read music. He says that little black and white squares float by from left to right in his mind's eye, and somehow from that, he knows what notes to play. Derek can play something original just off the tip of his brain, and then he can play it backwards. I mean, what? Not only was Derek suddenly able to play piano, he claims he can play seven or eight instruments now. Listen, I have long said that if I could be granted any superpower, I would want to either be able to speak and understand any language fluently, or I'd like to be able to play any instrument I pick up. Somehow, this guy actually got this superpower from getting bonked on the head. And before you get your drawers in a wad, I'm not making light of the accidents these guys had. Do not go diving into the shallow end of a pool or have a friend throw a fastball at your head or stand in a thunderstorm holding a TV antenna. These people were extraordinarily lucky to be alive after their ordeals, let alone left with talents they didn't possess before. And while the idea that one good whack on the head is all it could take to unlock some kind of hidden gift is tantalizing... It's not worth the risk. These stories open a Pandora's box of questions for me. One, the list of people with savant syndrome is overwhelmingly male. And that's people who are seemingly born with incredible gifts rather than acquiring them through an accident. In fact, Wikipedia lists only five people with acquired savant syndrome. Now, it's possible and likely that there are others who just haven't been discovered. But all five of those people are men. In fact, just from what I've read of Dr. Sack's work, it seems like the majority of his cases are also men. I suppose this could be that historically, when a woman presented herself to the doctor with anything out of the ordinary, she was dismissed as being hysterical and having a uterus that was hitchhiking its way through her body. Who knows? Maybe all those crazy cat ladies everyone jokes about are actually savants with amazing abilities that would knock your balls right back into your body. And now that I mention it, and before I get to the other questions in my Pandora's box, I'll tell you one last story of someone with acquired savant syndrome. Tommy McHugh was a builder who had had a bit of a criminal past. Nothing tremendously awful, it seems, but he was known to have gotten into scraps in his younger days. And he'd spent some time in prison. But when he was 51, Tommy had a stroke while sitting on the toilet. Desperate to keep his integrity intact, Tommy scrambled to get his pants back up before he felt what he described as an explosion on the side of his head. Next thing Tommy knew, he woke up in a hospital bed, having suffered a stroke caused by bleeding in and around his brain. The first thing he noticed was the tree outside his hospital room was sprouting the numbers three, six, and nine. And then, he said, he started talking in rhyme. Having had absolutely no interest in or talent for art before, Tommy now had an incredible urge to write poetry, was thinking in rhyme, and was spending 19 hours a day drawing and painting. Everything he saw and heard became an image in his head. He painted series of three, six, or nine paintings at a time. Each painting, he said, was like a snapshot of a millisecond of information that came into his brain. Dr. Mark Lithgow from the University College London explained that the stroke had blocked a function in his frontal lobes that normally filters the data we take in from our surroundings into understandable information. 
Without that function, Tommy's brain was constantly making associations with every piece of information around him, and those associations were turning into images that he turned into art. Apparently, according to Dr. Lithgow, that same function can be intentionally manipulated with electromagnetic pulses, resulting in savant-like abilities in otherwise neurotypical brains, which makes you wonder what else could be unlocked with electromagnetic pulses. But it wasn't just a new artistic side to his personality that he was experiencing. Tommy said that he could taste the femininity inside himself, which it seems he connected to the poetry and painting. Personally, I have no idea what femininity tastes like, having never tasted it in myself that I'm aware of. And it is a bit of a stereotype to say that poetry and painting is feminine especially considering that some of the most successful poets and painters have historically been men, but that's a whole other discussion. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that regardless of whether you consider art and poetry women's work, Tommy's personality had, it seemed, objectively changed. He had become unable to intentionally bring harm to any living thing. According to a doctor who worked with Tommy, everything struck him as beautiful and cosmically meaningful. Tommy had become more emotional and gentle, which, as we know, are traits generally associated with femininity, whether or not that's scientifically true. So, why is it that there seem to be few to no women who have acquired savant syndrome? Is it really that there aren't any, or have they just not been identified? And what is it about the syndrome that overwhelmingly brings out artistic abilities rather than mathematical or logical ones? Why are almost all the stories of savantism, either inborn or acquired, associated with music or visual arts? What happens when a non-binary person becomes an acquired savant? Is there some link between gender or biological sex and savant skills? And more to the point, what else is locked away in our brains? There have been some cases of people suffering accidents and suddenly being able to speak another language fluently. This seems even more unbelievable than suddenly being able to play the piano, somehow. But it turns out if these cases weren't debunked outright, it was found that people had had exposure to the new language earlier in life, and for some bonkers reason, their brain was filling in the gaps of lost language from brain damage with this new language. Which is still incredible when you think about it, because it means that all those hours spent in high school French, of which you think you remember nothing, are all swimming around up there somewhere. All you need is some degradation of the neurons in your brain to access it. Dr. Sachs talks to patients who, as they aged and developed dementia, compulsively hummed as they went about their daily activities. If they stopped humming for whatever reason, they either forgot what they were doing or forgot how to do it. Whatever damage was happening in the brain was somehow being patched with music. The brain is an insane place, and we still really know so little about it. Considering how much we've learned about human anatomy over the last century or so, think about how much more we might know in another century. It might sound impossible that we could figure out how to access and control these vast depths of memory and talent which seem to already live inside us, if these acquired savants are any indication. But it might not be that far off. 
Just as our grandparents' grandparents couldn't imagine a world with vaccines, for example, our grandchildren's grandchildren might look back on us bewildered that we couldn't all play Tchaikovsky by sight and paint the Mona Lisa from memory. Next time on Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. Pack your bag, grab your boarding pass, and put on your tinfoil hat. We're going to the Denver airport. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. This episode was written by me and researched by Jess McKillop. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. Our episodes are mixed and edited by Jennifer Swatek. If you like our show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at SNUpod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. See you there. Thank you.